all you cool cats and kittens know it's not Carol Baskins, but it is yours truly, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show. So, speaking of cool cats, before we get started with today's episode, I have to tell you about our fantastic new sponsor. That's right, you know him, you love him. It is our friends over at the Lions of Liberty podcast. Now, the Lions of Liberty is the greatest libertarian variety show on earth, featuring three unique shows with three unique hosts. Their flagship show on Mondays is hosted by a friend of our show, Mark Clare, featuring interviews with leaders in the libertarian movement, roundtable discussions, debates, and more. More recently, Mark's been focusing on personal development and self-growth, featuring some familiar names like, I don't know, Jason Stapleton or Gary Collins. Wednesdays feature Electric Liberty Land, a weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty, hosted by the hilarious and acerbic Brian McWilliams. And on Friday, we have Felony Friday, which is a weekly look at the broken criminal justice system, hosted by John Odermatt, featuring inspiring stories from those who've overcome incredible injustice and adversity. So, head over to your favorite podcast catcher and hit that subscribe button to Lions of Liberty, and then let Mark and the rest of the pride know that Brian Nichols here at the Brian Nichols Show set you. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. It's Wednesday, so that means it's time for, yes, another new installment of The Brian Nichols Show because, my goodness, we are so busy here at The Brian Nichols Show producing so much new content that I need three days a week, at the very least, to get all the content out to you guys in a a timely fashion. Uh, And and today is, is no exception, as today I'm joined by Lewis Black, not the comedian. No, this Lewis Black is the CEO of El Monte Industries. Now, El Monte Industries is a global tungsten producer. And uh, with that, uh, I'm joined, as I said, by Lewis Black to discuss not only what it's like to be the CEO of an international organization, but during that of a COVID-19 pandemic world, uh, where, where lockdowns can completely shut down your entire operation at a whim's notice, uh, but also specifically looking at uh, his interactions and in working with China and, uh, you know, tungsten being uh, extracted from China being one of his main uh, main countries he works in, how it is uh, to do business with a communist uh, regime like that we see in the communist Chinese government. So uh, with that, I want to have Lewis on the show to kind of give a, a more, uh, you know, real life perspective. What is it like being the CEO of a company having to deal with an organ or a, a country much like that? So uh, with that being said, guys, hope you enjoy today's episode. So without further ado, on to the show, Lewis Black here on The Brian Nichols Show. Um, well, it's it's good evening here. So good evening. I, I'm in Europe. That's right. I, I say yes. Good uh, good morning here because I'm I'm hailing obviously from the East Coast in uh, the United States. You're over in Europe. So uh, the wonderful the wonderful private sector, right, giving us the internet that we have here, so I can access the ability to talk to you across the pond. Um, and with that being said, you you obviously are joining us. Um, yes, late night over in Europe. You're the CEO of El Monte Industries. So let's kind of start uh, start off here, Lewis. Set the stage. Uh, kind of explain what your role is at Almonte Industries, being CEO. Maybe what Almonte Industries is, and then kind of what's uh, your your focus, your expertise here. Um, you know, not only as CEO, but also as you uh, you look at policy and, and politics. Well, essentially, we we are the primary source of tungsten concentrate outside of China. China accounts for about eighty to eighty five percent of of the world's output of China. Uh, we operate in Spain, in Portugal, and soon 
we're reopening the largest tungsten mine in the world, the, previously the largest tungsten mine in the world, in, in South Korea. Uh, so we only know about tungsten. We don't know anything about really anything else. Um, so we, we have five generations of knowledge. Uh, we have one of, well, I think actually now it's officially the longest running mine in the world in Portugal, which is 126 years it's been operating, uh, with over 16,000 kilometers of, of, of tunnels underground. So it's, uh, it's quite an extraordinary uh, site. Um, but all of our, our customers uh, essentially are vertically integrated and are either in medical, defense, automobile, aerospace, uh, any industrial sectors. So we have a fairly good sense of, of what's going on uh, in, in terms of the market. So let's kind of um, maybe focus on that, right? Because obviously in America, we, we, we kind of have our own perception of what the market looks like. Um, right now, I think a lot of the market is, is looking at the, the futures of tech stock, um, for better or for worse. But obviously, you're you're speaking to more, you know, obviously tungsten, but also the industrial world. What's kind of been the the experience with the COVID uh, nineteen lockdowns across the world? It, has it been something that's really held back the industry, or have you guys maybe been thriving as uh, other industries have been? No, I mean, I mean, ninety nine percent, ninety eight point eight percent of our material is exported uh, into the uh, United States. So um, we, we have more, well, all of our exposure is to the US. Um, what we've seen is our customers um, have obviously run their inventories down. There was a great deal of uncertainty earlier this year in sort of March, April. Uh, a lot of them took the opportunity to do work on their plants. Um, in terms of, of an outlook, um, it's, it's unknown at the moment. I think they're, 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 they're cautiously optimistic but they're keeping one eye on what's going on in China, where obviously things are, are very much picking up, but picking up not because of increased demand. It appears to, in our sector, uh, more of a stockpiling uh, sort of routine, because obviously this is a unique opportunity to pick up market share, because all of our customers have very low inventories. Um, so in terms of COVID, we didn't close. In, well, in Spain, we were forced to close. The, the entire country was forced to close. All industry was stopped. Uh, but in Portugal, we continued operating, uh, but we had uh, reduced uh, staff so that we could actually, well, reduce shift work so we could actually keep some policies of social distancing within the company. Because mining is, you know, you can imagine, um, uh, you have congregations of people underground, so you have to be uh, with, with with obviously a lot of ventilation. So we were very, you know, susceptible to anything that that you know any any of this pandemic. But I think that we we were fortunate. Um, and we continued as best we could at about, we, we reduced about 20% of our output because of these restrictions we put in. So obviously being an international company, I think one of the things that people don't think about with the, the ramifications of the lockdowns, and you, you were speaking specifically with Spain, I mean, literally the entire country was shut down. Um, so I think sometimes people don't think about how, you know, literally it, it can be like this domino effect. I mean, we're seeing it here in the United States with, uh, with meat prices skyrocketing because, um, of, of the, the way that the regulations have been in the meat market, right? And it's made it hard for your local mom and pop producers to produce like they, they should be able or allowed to because of, you know, certain arbitrary standards. And we're seeing kind of this, this arbitrary approach to either saying the lockdowns or, or what have you coming from, you know, from on high down to the masses. And it, it really, it does have some real impact on not only your average person, but, you know, to, to your point there, Lewis, you know, in the industrial sector, 
20% of your number going down. That's, that's a big deal. I mean, my day job, I'm in sales. Um, you know, and, and if it was 20% of my number, that'd be a big deal too. Uh, so like, I, I guess sometimes it, it behooves me to want to make sure we, we raise up, you know, part of my show is obviously focusing on politics, but I, I do like to have folks in, in the private sector come on the show to, to talk about what's going on out there, because I think to see the policy actually how it impacts real life, that's the most important thing. So I guess kind of what's been your perspective as you know, the CEO of, of a company like Almonte Industries having to navigate through not only the, the red tape, but also through just the, the all of a sudden arbitrary lockdowns that could be coming on a whim? Well, I think, you know, that we, we've seen some some interesting um, legal issues because ultimately, um, you know, would you claim that a pandemic is a force majeure uh, when you're honoring contracts? Because there's no allowance for a pandemic within a within the you know normally there's a there's a, a list of, of items that are considered to be right. classified as a force majeure pandemic is not so when governments insist that you close down you're caught between a rock and a hard place in a legal position you can't deliver but you can't claim force majeure now obviously you have relationships with your clients that you know they understand this is a unique situation and everyone's busy redoing their their contracts to 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 embrace this but i think that the biggest problem is the the biggest fear we had was um, uh, what is the government going to do next? I mean, you, you know, it's almost impossible to plan with, with a mine. You can't just shut it down in in, in three hours. It, it, you know, right. it's it's a process to stand it down and stand it down safely. So, I, I mean, so far we've been very fortunate that that obviously more draconian issues came in, measures came in in March and April, but now we're looking. At the extension of the first wave, I, I don't think this is the second wave. I think the first wave is still here. It's just picking back up um, here in Europe, and and then it's a question of you know um, what what's coming, what, what's coming next. So right. it's, it's it's a very difficult situation to make any re- really effective planning for. You are literally living on the seat of your pants. Of the seat of your pants. Yeah, and it's across. I think it's across all industries, really, because. You, you can't prepare for what you don't know. And, and part of the problem, too, I think, is that we have we've relegated so much responsibility to, in many cases, people that we consider to be the, the quote unquote experts and they tend to go into positions of power in government. And I, I just think it's 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 a silly argument, but it's also kind of a scary argument to say that, you know, there's going to be certain people in positions of power who can just unilaterally decide what is going to be the best direction or the best decision for a, a particular group of people? And, and to your, your point, Lewis, there's a lot that goes into, you know, shutting down, be it, you know, temporary or not. You know, you're, you're running these massive mines for tungsten. And, and yes, it requires a process to make sure you're shutting down properly. But I think sometimes that these these politicians, they, they don't really think to... The, the consequences. I mean, one of the the great quotes of the the twentieth century was to judge um, you know, the outcomes of, of these policies versus their than their intentions. And I know I'm butchering that that paraphrase of Milton Friedman uh, terribly, but uh, I mean, as as a, a someone who's running uh, one of the, these these large industry uh, these large companies in, in industry, do you find that maybe <laughs> and it is sad I say this that government has been sometimes your biggest competitor versus your true other competitors? Well, I think I think governments are also caught between a rock and a hard place as well. Firstly, uh, you know their, their background is not is not a scientific or medical one. Let's be perfectly honest. They're also having to learn on the job. Their problem is, of course, is if they do nothing, 
then anyone that that, that is, catches this this disease, this virus, and, and dies, they're automatically held responsible by the opposition. And if they only do a little bit, not seem to be doing only a little bit, a little touch, then they're also responsible. So they have to default to the most extreme response, whether it works or not. So you know, we watched in Europe where there was no lockdown talk at all. But then Spain announced we're locking down. And then you saw the dominoes right across Europe, because once one government has said it, they've all got to do it. Right. Um, and they're not even sure. I mean, it was to protect the health service. Well, that brings in the question, why is the health service in such bad shape that as populations have grown in these countries, why did the healthcare system not also increase at the same rate? And you see, this is another question that no one seems willing to answer. Or they don't want to they, answer it. That might be the part, too. Well, well, they can't answer it because the, the answer is a disaster. So never never give an answer to a question that you don't like. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. So, so, I mean, I understand the idea of protecting beds. That's why you justified the lockdown. But it was a domino effect here. As one did it, they all had to do it. And I remember the UK said, we're not doing it. And I remember that the French president turned around and said, if you don't do it, we're going to close the Dover-Calais Dover uh, uh, link between the countries, where I think 70% of the food goes into Britain. He was threatening to starve the country unless they locked down. I mean, it was, it was extraordinary. This is a foreign president telling a sovereign nation, you must lock down or that's it. We're closing the food route. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it, you know, they, I, I think... I think this has been a terrible example of of what leaders we have now. Yeah. Know? Well, I mean, we end up getting the leaders we deserve, unfortunately. And I mean, we're seeing it across the board where I think there is a desire for kind of like the grownups in the room. And I mean, America, we're, we're seeing it right now. The, the disaffection with the top two candidates is at an all time high. And, and that's across the board. And I think, you know, there is a great opportunity for someone to just kind of say, like, enough, like, we're, we're tired of this. And I think you're starting to see a groundswell for more of that sentiment, not just in America, but across the world. Uh, I know we're seeing it in Ukraine with, with you know, the, the, the uprisings there. Um, we, we saw it in Hong Kong um, against the Chinese government until China decided to uh, basically uh, put a, their thumb and squash that pretty darn quick. Um, but we're seeing that that sentiment is growing at the very least. So Liz, let's kind of pivot a little bit towards your, I'd say more of your expertise, shall we? Uh, and that is with your, your role in working with China and specifically looking at, at that, a trade policy. So China has been obviously in America, one of the main focuses, um, not just because of uh, what's happening here with the COVID-19 lockdowns, but prior to this, uh, President Trump made a point to, you know, go after China because of, of China's uh, unfair trade policies and focusing on trying to restore trade balance. Now, um, as a political, uh, you know, proponent of free market economics, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of tariffs personally, um, but I can dare say, looking at some of the things that have come as a result of President Trump's tariffs, um, that there has been some net positives. So I'm at least willing to, you know, concede that I, I see the merit in in the argument um, from some of the folks in the more pro, uh, you know, tariff world. But your your interactions alone, I'm just curious to kind of take your expertise and and kind of dig upon uh, or dig dig in and expound upon that. What's been your personal experience, number one, as a CEO of El Monte Industries, working with China with, you know, obviously a communist dictatorship, um, but also number two, uh, has it been something that has been a challenge from a business perspective to actually get things done? Well, I think, I mean, it, my colleagues in, in Tungsten in, in China are, are, are some of the most accomplished operators in the world. I mean, they, they are 
are extraordinarily good at what they do. Uh, they they work obviously with more aged technology, um, but 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 the way they've adapted aged technology is is extraordinary. I mean, the, be under no illusion. Um, this isn't just a, a you know, a, a, a background of throwing bodies at a problem or money at a problem. They really do think the problem through and they invest heavily in, in the scientific approach to, to finding solutions. So uh, this is, is very much the case. I think what we've seen in, in China is, is the companies there, because of the system they operate on, under, have no qualms regarding capital. Capital is easy, is easily available, readily available. They're not ruled by their balance sheet or their shareholders, uh, especially in a strategic metal like tungsten. So it is a relatively simple process for any tungsten producer to obtain uh, capital uh, through state loans, which obviously are never really ever ever repaid. So uh, they they don't they're not handcuffed by that, allowing them to carry obviously much more inventory, which is really why they were able to expand their dominance. Because if you're a Western consumer, you get very lazy because it's so easy. You, you want something from you want something, you pick up the phone, send it over, no problem, done. Yep. And and so, so diversification is going to be a, a a really big challenge because it's like you know after a big Christmas. <laughs> After a big Thanksgiving, you think, you know, I got to lose some pounds while you're eating the turkey sandwich in the car on the way to work. You, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's on your to-do list. And so, um, you know, there is the product out of China is a very high quality now, much higher than it was 10 years ago. They've become a much better uh, sales orientated team. But I don't think anyone should be surprised that the system, the political system they operate under there is the state is first and the individual is, is not, whereas complete opposite is true, obviously over here. And, and, and that makes it incompatible ultimately in the long term. Right. Yeah. We, um, we, I said, it, we didn't it, even dig into it, your politics it, either. So, I mean, if you want to kind of use this as a, a means to expound upon your own personal politics, if you'd like, by all means, feel free. Because, I mean, that really does come down to the conversation, right? The individual versus the state. Yeah, yes. I, I mean, look, it's, it, it's, a totally it's a totally different system. It's incompatible. Um, and it's been very easy, and I and I, for some reason, and they've done a very good job in presenting a sort of nor nor a, a new warm and fluffy <laughs> communism. <laughs> but, but the fact of the matter is, I I just saw in the Asian Times, uh, literally a week ago, that they've made a proclamation of five thousand word or page doc uh, thing about how the state is now going to start influencing Chinese private companies and entrepreneurs much much greater to bring them into the moral standards of the party. Because ultimately, wow. before uh, private business was 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 a very small part of the sector, but it's it's dramatically increased in China. So they the the, the, the CCP have, have said no, no. Now we we now need to approve hires. We need to you know it's essentially. Um, I think somebody sent it to me. Put the headline: Stalin would be proud. That was his intro when he sent me this article. So true. Um, so, so it, it's it, you know you, you forget that that is the, the system you have to work within, and I think if if you have businesses there, you, you know you're in for a tough ride. I think I think what President Trump has done, whether you agree with his method or not, um, it, it was a question of well, what do you really do? Well, he's I, I guess he's, he's the guy who likes to use a sledgehammer. Um, he, he he has a four year window, and he figured, and in China, four years is nothing. I mean, they they you know they. They look at over a hundred years. Is is you know what do they say? They asked Mao what he thought of the French Revolution. He said, "Too soon to tell." Yeah. So, it, 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 you know, so you had to use a sledgehammer. Um, so I'm not a big believer in tariffs because I, I I just don't like the whole concept 
of of that. But um, and so the you know, but I understand that it had to bring somebody to the table because. Yeah. It's, you know, competing with China, all of our mines, well, not our Portuguese mine because it's a more expensive mine to operate, but all mines have to be cost competitive with China. And we live in fear of them doing what they did back in the 80s, which is just flood the market. And everyone, that's why there's no industry left in tungsten outside of China, except for really us and some artisanals in Central Africa and in Mongolia and a little bit of South America. That's it now. So I guess what's the um the long term ramifications of China, right? Because you you spoke to it earlier. You said it is not compatible, and and I, again it goes to the idea of this kind of state run control versus the the respect for the individual. And I think we're seeing that here. You know, obviously in America, we're, we're seeing it a lot with like the NBA, for example, um, where the NBA seems to be really kowtowing to China, uh, Disney, um, Hollywood, all kowtowing to China, and. And I think your average person is, is I say that I'm hoping, um, is starting to wake up to maybe how dangerous China politically can be, uh, especially when you're looking at you know the, the Uyghur concentration camps. It, it's just the, the, the atrocities that are taking place over there from, from just a human perspective are, are astonishing. And I guess my, my question would be, do you think that with people starting to wake up that there might be a move? away from China because of that incompatibility of this state versus respect for the individual and that maybe China's you know long-term outlook is in fact a little flawed I, I think the the I think the very fact that Disney and obviously you know car manufacturers are all looking to China and kowtowing to them is endemic of the system that we live in because that's that's driven by growth and, and all of these companies have to show growth and ultimately with a billion and a half people, with many of those people migrating up to a middle class in China, that is the the, the easiest growth story that's out there. And Brand new market, and, yeah. and, and and ultimately, the, the, these companies are really, again, caught between the rock and a hard place, like the politicians, is that this is the growth story. You know, if you can, if you can, you know, I mean, if you look at the car market, I think after the US, China is now number one as a country. You know, it's in, in consumption of, of, of vehicles. So it's, I think people waking up and saying, we don't want to buy Chinese anymore. Well, you know, ultimately China's, I think, medium to long-term goal is to become more of a consumer economy anyway. So that, that I mean, they're already moving manufacturing out of China into countries like Vietnam because it's obviously much cheaper. So I think in the medium to long-term, I don't think that they see their future as being the, 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 the factory for the world. I, I think ultimately they'd like to transform themselves into uh, more of an American consumer system, but obviously controlled by the state. Right. Um, that's so, curious, isn't it? Like how how would that kind of a system work? Because you, you kind of need to have a a thriving, prosperous individual to be able to be a consumer society. But if it's a state-run you know organization like China, that's going to be very difficult to obtain, No. I, I think I, I agree, but I think what you've seen is that there's been a huge explosion of private companies in, in China. There's been a huge increase in, in the middle class, extraordinary growth. They're going through their industrial revolution, um, uh, and it's significantly you know, been picking up pace of growth of, of no less than 6 7% a year for years. I mean, it's an extraordinary growth rate. Um, but China still maintains the ability to rein it in when they so so choose. And I think one of the issues, they've looked in history 
of the mistakes made by other regimes within the socialist regimes. And ultimately, poverty has doomed all of them. You know, ultimately, that's what dooms the Soviet Union, Venezuela. They're all doomed through the, because the poverty of the people just increases under those regimes. China is trying, obviously, a slightly different approach. <laughs> that if you're making money, if you have money, you'll be much less inclined to want to change. You know, this is this is always the the, the question between the left and the right in politics. Uh, you know, when you're doing reasonably well, you want less taxes. You want less interference by the government because you're a, a smart person and you're responsible and you don't want people interfering in your lives. Um, so that means that there's always got, you know, but poverty is is an attractive proposition because you can offer people things yes. uh, for dependency reasons. So it, it's, you know, I think China is certainly approaching it in a different way, but the presentation is 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 really just PR. It is ultimately yeah. still a one-party system. And, and actually, as you were speaking, you, you kind of, you made me think a little bit. Um, it actually goes along kind of with this this tacit acceptance of the status quo. Now, my day job, as I said, I'm in sales, and my one of my uh, favorite quotes is, the enemy of progress is is the status quo. And if you constantly are are enabling this, this you know, government-mandated, quote-unquote, equality, right, that you can basically make everybody equal, and comfortable because you're not looking at your neighbor as like having more than you that you can create kind of this docile society and i didn't really think about it that way that that's it's almost kind of what they're doing no yes i mean i mean I'm, my father may rest in peace used to always say to me you know in the 70s in the uk there was terrible troubles with unions it was it was a disaster strikes power cuts and he always used to say to me that you know he was a he was a, a an immigrant from from europe after the war um, and he would say that the, the concept of Marxism was fantastic. The problem was, is that it, it, it worked when it's translated into communism. It drew everyone down, not up. And, and he said, and that's where the, he said the flaw was. Imagine, he said, you had a system where everyone went up. Then, of course, everyone would love it. It would be fantastic. <laughs> but, but it didn't. It basically dragged everybody down to a level, not didn't drag them up. And, and I think China is trying a, a more as you say, placid approach, you know, if everyone has enough, I'm not saying too much, but enough, their yearning for change is significantly diminished. So I guess then my, my question would be, because you know, maybe it's a cultural thing. I just, I don't get the reason why, like what's the end goal for, for China? Is it, is it global domination? Is it, is it that they're, their their population gets you know better than, I, I, I honestly, I, I genuinely don't understand like what's the, the main focus of this beyond just continuing to increase the size of the state? I, I think ultimately, it, it, I think the Soviet Union was always about expansion. And, and when it ceased to be able to expand, it collapsed. Um, and, and I think obviously maybe some would say the, the, the European Union is of the same type of, 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 of concept. But I think in China, I don't think they have an interest in, in seeing the Chinese flag fly over you know the White House. I don't think this is of interest to them at all because I think culturally... China has always been a very, I mean, a very educated, very uh, progressive nation. I mean, if you look back through history before communism, it's, it's, you know, it's the land of the firework. I mean, this is, you know, when the rest of us were were basically using leaves uh, to to defecate in in caves, these guys were shooting off fireworks for fun. So you can see that that you know, from a advanced point of view, this is a very, very significant culture on this planet. Um, but I think economically. Uh, they wish to continue their growth story because perhaps they feel 
that the U.S. have had their time, and now it's their turn. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so I think I think economically is where they're looking to to take a much more dominant role, and ultimately that economy will focus itself back into China rather than out, you know, rather than outward into other territories. And, and seeing the um, seeing the impact of of China on a global scale. It obviously leads to a big focus on the current global superpower that is America. And obviously coming up here in less than two months now, uh, hard to imagine, Lewis, we have an election um, where it's 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 President Trump versus Joe Biden. And I, I dare say there are definitely some some ramifications as it pertains to China's standing on the global stage there. So I, I think it'd be great here as we wrap up because we are approaching our time. I would. I think it'd be great to get an outsider's perspective because in America we're just bombarded nonstop with election you know news all the time, and I think it's good for us to hear an outsider's perspective of you know number one, what, objectively what you, you kind of take uh, away from the election here uh, you know uh, from your third party perspective, but number two, what's the ramifications for for China um, if they if we have a Trump presidency continue versus that of a Biden presidency. Well, I think very briefly, I think that, that Trump will continue much of the same. And I think China will be uh, not terribly happy about that. Um, and I think that they'll they'll essentially be put into a position where they'll have to do something um, in terms of, of, of smoothing the relationship back over because it's still their largest customer. Um, I think with, with Joe Biden, I think historically he's shown during his what nearly 50 years in, in, in the Senate and, and obviously as vice president, uh, the status quo uh, is a much simpler route. So I think China would probably be much happier with Joe Biden winning the election because uh, their concept of peace and tranquility will return, even if it means, you know, because basically it'll just go back to how it always has been. No questions asked as long as, you know, Chinese money uh, keeps finding its way <laughs> into the treasuries. Um, no problem. So I, I think from China's point of view, they probably, they almost certainly have a favorite in this election. And how about your, your, your third party perspective, American politics, you know, what was your kind of thought of where we are as a country <laughs> looking at it's a, it's a Trump versus Biden presidency. Do you, do you think that that's a, an okay choice or, or do you think that maybe there's, there's somebody out there that would have been a, a better alternative? Well, well, I mean, listen, I, you know, I, I, to be honest, I, I, I've, I've been impressed with Trump on the basis that he's done exactly what he said he was going to do. Whether you like what he's done is an irrelevant. He's actually gone and done what every politician ever feared, that you'd actually have to do what you said you were going to do when you got elected. Um, so so he's got them all running around like, because now electorates are going to hold politicians to that standard, yeah. which is a disaster for them. Um, but I, I, to be honest, I, I think perhaps they could have, you know, selected a, a you know, a candidate with a, a little bit more, you know, uh, <laughs> with a little bit more alert than Joe Biden, uh, because to be honest, um, he, 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 you know, God bless him. He, he seems to be struggling a little. Oh. Um, I, I'm trying to be as, 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 as nice as possible about this, but, but I mean, he does seem to be struggling a little bit. Um, you know, he went out on a high, uh, you know, as vice president, I, I think, uh, everyone tipped their hats to him. I have no idea why he wants to put himself through this <laughs> four years later. Um, because he's, I think he's going to be essentially, uh, eaten alive in the debates. Oh, if they even have um, the debates. <laughs> well, I think he's going to find every way he try to get out of it because, but, but if you get out of it, he's lost. I mean, he's got to face, 
if you can't handle a debate with President Trump, what's going to happen when they put you in a room with Putin? <laughs> you, yep, you know, exactly. that's, that, that's the reality is that Trump will be a pussycat compared to some of these guys you've got to deal with. Oh, yeah. It's, so, it's sad. Like looking at that Biden, it's um, and I think it's object. Like, I'm not even trying to pick fun at the guy. Like I have my political disagreements, but like objectively speaking, he's definitely not the same guy he was. You know, not, not just four years ago, but heck, he's not the same guy he was like two two years ago, four four months ago. It, it's it's quite obvious, and I think it's yeah. kind of sad. Uh, and to your point, Lewis, I think maybe what we're seeing is a kind of like a <laughs> I hate to use the analogy, but almost like a Trojan horse kind of approach. You know, getting Joe Biden in, he can kind of be this return to normalcy candidate, and then once he set that stage, then you can have some more of the the more toxic um, you know folks from the left. That would that take up the the, the reins, and I, I'm I'm obviously approaching that from my more political lens, but that's what I'm seeing, uh, you know, is a more and more realistic approach. But I, I guess we'll we'll see. Um, let, let let us hope he's not the the, the next he's not the new Manchurian candidate. Let's fingers he, crossed. He, you know. So, so, but but uh, it is a great shame because I I always I always liked uh, uh, Joe Biden. Um, you know, I always found you know he, I had no issues with him, but he's he's certainly he's not aging as well as perhaps he would lo- would have liked at this point. Oh, for sure. Well, uh, Lewis, unfortunately, we are at the time where we might get ready to wrap no problem, up. Right. I'm not sure. Do, do you have social media or anything uh, folks can go ahead and follow you at? Oh, they can just they can just go look at it, you know at the, at the website the www.amonti.com. Almonte.com. We will include that link in the show notes. With that being said, Lewis Black, thank you so much for joining here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Are you looking for a simpler life? Real information from real people without all the BS we're bombarded with today? Well, hey, I'm Gary Collins, the host of Your Better Life podcast. Make sure to go check it out. I'm a former intelligence officer, special agent, entrepreneur, and I'm here to give you the facts and give it to you straight so you can live the life you want. And make sure to check out my website, thesimplelifenow.com, where I sell all of my best-selling books, The Simple Life Series, Going Off the Grid, Living Off the Grid, and just flat out kicking some ass. Make sure to check it out, guys. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Lewis Black, CEO of El Monte Industries. If you enjoyed today's episode, do me a favor, go ahead and share on social media, tag me at B Nichols Liberty Twitter, FacebookMinds.com, uh, and I'll make sure if you tag me there, I will give you a nice retweet. Also, if you want to go ahead and get in touch with me, email me, Brian at BrianNicholsShow.com. If you have any uh, great guests in mind, if you represent a guest, or if you, you uh, maybe are running for office, Go ahead, send me an email, brian at briannicholsshow.com. I'd love to hear uh, what your story is, and would love to maybe get you on the show. Uh, and if you had not had the chance yet, go ahead and check out uh, the last episode here of the Brian Nichols Show. From Monday, I had Elaine Joan, uh, libertarian redhead there, over on uh, social media. She's a political consultant, and uh, she joined the show to discuss uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing, Amy Comey, uh, Coney Barrett being uh, tapped as the uh, SCOTUS replacement and the implications for the 2020 election. Uh, And then looking ahead here as we go towards Friday, Brad Palumbo, friend of the show, joins the show to discuss his amazing new podcast, Breaking Boundaries, and more. So make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button over on your favorite podcast catcher, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, I don't care where it is, but make sure you hit the subscribe button. Also, do me a favor and give us a five-star rating and review. I know over half of you guys are getting your podcasts from Apple Podcasts, so do me a favor, hit that five-star uh, review, and then give us a, just a quick, you know, one-sentence uh, summary of why you joined the Brian Nichols Show audience, and then just take a screenshot of that, email me uh, that that screenshot, brian at briannicholsshow.com. 
Gmail.com and you're entered into our awesome super secret giveaway, uh, which we'll be discussing here as we get towards the end of the year. So guys, with that being said, from the bottom of my heart, it was an absolute blast. A really fun time here having a conversation with Lewis Black. So do me a favor, make sure you tune in here on Friday for episode with Brad Palumbo. With that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Lewis Black. We'll see you Friday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.